Hey folks, David Stewart here. Time for some more Storycraft. Today it is the horror of the vampire. Yes, the folkloric monster known as the vampire, which has been part of popular literature for, at this point, about two centuries. And there's good reasons for that. It's a very good monster. But similar to zombies, which I covered a couple weeks ago, there's really two different approaches to vampires in fiction, and there's two different approaches to writing about vampires. There's the approach that looks at vampires as a horrible kind of monster, and then there's those that look at vampires as something a little bit more interesting and romantic. And the divide, I think, really starts to happen in the 1970s with, of course, this book, uh, Interview with the Vampire. So Interview with the Vampire, which is kind of famous for like, dude, it's like from the perspective of the vampire, takes the perspective and puts it in the vampire's viewpoint, which lets you explore the ideas of the vampire from a completely different angle. And that has really inspired an explosion of books similar to this or really in the same tradition of it within the vampire genre, uh, all the way leading up to the mega, mega, mega bestseller Twilight, which I've talked about on this channel before, which has a very romantic view of the vampire and not one where the vampires looked at as something um, very, very monstrous and dangerous. Now, the ideas that are in Interview with the Vampire actually go all the way back to the beginning of the genre. Um, the very first, one of the very first vampire books, and I've read it, and maybe you guys can read it, it's by John William Polidori. It's called The Vampire, spelled with a Y-R-E, like the word pyre, um, like a funeral pyre. And in that one, the vampire is this seductive being and not one that uh, necessarily adheres to all the folkloric traditions, but that seductive nature, the nature of a vampire being a tempting kind of um, alluring monster, that really is what finds its way into the newer vein. So this stuff's been there from the beginning, but we really do have two different approaches. Prior to this, what we mostly see with vampires is them being something very, very horrible. And the fear of the vampire, the reason the vampire makes a great monster, a great vehicle for horror, is because the vampire not just represents death, like something that will kill you, but it represents a fate possibly worse than death, which is the fate of becoming a vampire yourself, being undead. Now, there's a reason why the horror of becoming a vampire starts to turn into a fascination with becoming a vampire starting in the 1970s, and that's because of a shift in Western society away from very religious views about the soul to one which is much more materialistic. And I don't just mean obsessed with stuff, I mean viewing the person as a material being rather than as a spiritual being. If you become a vampire and you become an undead creature of the night, what is the cost to you? It's your soul. And so if you don't really believe in a soul or the idea of a soul is something that is very de-emphasized, then it looks like being a vampire is something that is a positive and negative. There's like a trade-off. It's like, well, you maybe get to live forever as an immortal being, and maybe it's fun to suck blood, but of course, this it's dangerous because the sun could destroy you, and uh, you're hurting people, and maybe that's bad or something like that. So the focus tends to be towards the fascination of like, what would it be like to be a vampire? What does it mean to be one of these evil creatures of the night rather than we really don't want to be one because we would lose our immortal soul. That's the threat of Dracula. That's the threat of um, the classic vampires losing your immortal soul and becoming the monster. And I think that shares a lot of similarities with the zombie genre because becoming a zombie is not just um, 
dying, right? You become a monster. The idea of becoming a monster is a fate worse than death really uh, is very resonant, I think, with a more spiritual age, which we've kind of departed and the baby boomer generation has a much more materialistic output. And once you have interview with the vampire, then you can start to have ideas like the alluring, uh, lustful nature of the vampire becomes something that is um, really a vehicle for romance. When we get to Twilight, there's really a whole you know, there's a whole genre now of like vampire romance fiction where the object of love is a vampire in a sense. They're beautiful, but maybe they're pale, right? Or they represent strength, danger. They're dangerous to you, which can be alluring and uh, they're powerful. And of course, it's alluring to want to be a vampire. But, you know, as part of the thing in Twilight is like, I don't want to make you a vampire because like we're like, it's bad to be a vampire. We're like soulless evil things. Um, so that's really where that emphasis begins to change. There's so many classic vampire movies. There's so many classic vampire books. It's impossible to talk about all of them. But if you are writing a vampire book, chances are you're going to think in one of these two directions. Uh, another one that's interesting where zombies and vampires really cross over is with the book I Am Legend. If you've never read I Am Legend, uh, the author was, I had to write it down because it's been so long, uh, Richard Matheson, that's right. And in it, you have the last guy on Earth surrounded by vampires, like a vampire apocalypse. Well, this transfers into zombies. We have a zombie apocalypse. Um, in this one, the vampires were very fascinating because they start to construct their own vampire society. And he's a legend because he's the last man. He's like a monster to the vampires because he goes around killing them. So the idea of the vampire plague spreading out and taking over everybody and turning everybody into a vampire, that one seems to be, uh, might have existed before this. I can't really think of any examples, but that's where it starts to spread. We even see it pop up with Stephen King's Salem's Lot. That's a, actually a vampire book that came out, I believe, after Interview with the Vampire, but it follows more classic vampires, which is the vampires are monstrous. You don't really want to be a vampire. The entire town ends up becoming like vampires. It's not a bad vampire book. I actually have a little bit of affection for it. It's Stephen King's second published book, I think. But it doesn't have an ending, just to warn you. There's not really much of an ending at all to Salem's Lot. It's, uh, I think he just didn't know how to like tie it up. Everybody, the, the survivors kind of leave the town and we're like, well, are the vampires going to spread out all, all over the earth? Um, another really interesting one from more recent times that I think uh, actually crosses all of these and and is similar maybe in some ways to I Am Legend is the uh, the Strain trilogy, which was written by Guillermo del Toro and another writer, another ghostwriter whose name is escaping me right now. But there's three books, The Strain, The Fall, and uh, what was the last one called? Like Eternal Dark or something, or uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of the last one is. But it's a, it's a good three-book set. I've read it. Uh, the first one is more like the spreading of a vampire plague. They take a more scientific approach to vampires, which is something that is present in I Am Legend. Uh, and the vampires are spread with like these bloodworms that come in and infect you. And you turn into a monster. Um, you don't want to be a vampire in the Strain trilogy. There's nothing alluring about it. You become a withered, horrible thing with like a waddle hanging off your neck and like red eyes. You become inhuman it transforms you into an inhuman monster and even your genitals fall off so 
any kind of uh, lustful allure to that gets transformed into a horror of I don't want to become a terrible monster like that. Then it transfers over into apocalyptic fiction where uh, everything is collapsing and they're trying to stop the vampires from um, taking over and executing their plan. Of course, there's like a master vampire who's doing the whole thing. Uh, and they actually fail in that book, which is a great thing to do for a midpoint book, just kind of like with Empire Strikes Back. For if you're doing a trilogy, the middle book it's good to have a failure so that you have uh, something for all the heroes to reflect on and grow on and, and something big for them to do in the third installment. And then the third installment is post-apocalyptic, kind of like I Am Legend. The vampires have taken over and then there's like some survivors trying to fight it. So you get three really different interesting snapshots from the genre with that trilogy. And I actually I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. So you can check that one out. I think I got the ebooks pretty cheap. Um, so that was an interesting, a, a more modern uh, experience to get away from the 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 Anne Rice version of vampires where they're you know it's all kind of a romantic thing and I will say about Interview with the Vampire I know a lot of people on my side don't like this book because of its influence but it's actually in my opinion it's a very well-written book I think the first three books in the Vampire Chronicles are good and worth reading and the reason that I say the first three and not all of them is that after you get past the third one you have a thing where you've answered all the mysteries. We've uncovered all the mysteries of the alluring origins of the vampires and what's going on with them. And so after that, you're looking at stories that explore different things, and it's just there's not as much interest or drive to continue reading the series after the third one. But um, you know, regardless of whether you like vampire romance or you wish it didn't exist, this is actually a very well-written book, and uh, I, I enjoyed reading it, and I think it's a fun book to read. And it's a good one if you want to explore that side without having to go like the the super popular Twilight route, you know, and, and see what's up with that. Um, I will say, though, that throughout the entire series, there's definitely some homoerotic undertones, so be aware of those and know... I. You're probably not imagining when you pick up on that when you read it. It's part of the book is that the lust is for blood. And so it ends up being a weird transformation of like companionship love into something more lustful and in my opinion, a little bit more homoerotic. And I'll also point you at another one, which is very, very different from what you normally get with traditional vampire fiction. Um, and I'm going to bring it up here. But before I bring it up, let me say, if you want classic stuff, I really like the old Hammer films with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. They're a lot of fun. Um, they're great monster flicks. They're not that scary, but they uh, I think they tell really good stories and they do a good job with it. Likewise, the original Bela Lugosi, um, Dracula, I think is a is a good film. And if you go all the way back to one with Max Schreck, uh, 1922's um, Nosferatu is very spooky and scary with a very, really horrific looking vampire. So the origins of vampires in movies are really towards the more frightening vampire, but we, we get the more lustful or beautiful vampires as we go along. But uh, anyway, this one, Vampire Hunter D, the main villain, uh, Count Lee, is named after Christopher Lee because the author um, Hideyuki Kikuchi was very inspired by House of Dracula and by those Hammer Dracula films. This one is a science fiction novel that takes place in like 12,000 AD. 
and there's already been an apocalypse there's like a there was a vampire overlord society which was then overthrown and you're living in kind of a post 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 apocalyptic apocalyptic world where vampires rather than being these kind of overlords that ruled over humanity and treated them like cattle have been relegated back into their more folkloric position of being sort of legendary menacing lords up on the hills above medieval cities uh and it's like a midi combination of medieval cities with super advanced technology they have like energy barriers but they're also have like maybe thatch roofs and stuff and you can get that when you pick up the aesthetics if you ever watched the movies the original vampire hunter d movie from the 1980s which i'm fond of as well as the vampire hunter d bloodlust movie which is aesthetically a great movie to watch if you want absolutely prime aesthetic achievement vampire hunter d bloodlust um this is the original novel that is for the um original movie and this is the novel demon death chase that the second movie was based on it's actually the third one in the series once this character is established um the series goes through a whole bunch of wild different stories involving this character vampire hunter d who is a dampier he's a half vampire half human and in some vampire mythologies and this is something that you'll pick up with a lot of vampire fiction is every time you write it you have to establish the mythological rules of the vampire um, they do this in twilight they do it in interview with the vampire so if you're going to write vampire fiction this is something that you have to make room for you have to establish your rules we have an idea of basic rules of vampires but you have to establish what the actual rules for your vampires are going to be. That's very important because you want your audience to be able to telegraph what the dangers are, what's going to happen, um, possibly um, what they can expect or how they can actually counter the vampire, how they can defeat it, how they can avoid being killed. All that stuff's very important because I do spend time with the um, thinking about the rule set. So in this rule set, vampires can have children with humans and the dampiers are weaker in the sunlight, but they can go in the sunlight and... Uh, uh, so it makes a very interesting character we never uh, we slowly unraveled the mystery of d and who's his father and where he's from and um, all that kind of stuff but each one of these is just like a, a a pulp adventure so if you like classic pulp tales from the early part of the 20th century you get that with vampire hunter d only in a very wild sci-fi vampire setting so it's totally out there totally weird um totally original and one more vampire movie that i would like to recommend is shadow of the vampire and uh, this is one about the making of nosferatu with with max shrek and it is very creepy and it treats the idea that max shrek the guy who played the vampire basically was a vampire and they just kind of filmed him and doing that stuff and it it it's a very very interesting movie and uh one that i look back on as one of the strangest and kind of coolest vampire movies uh, that i've seen and you know there's a whole host of vampire movies that have been made since then that are the basic hammer film uh schlock kind of stuff like you know, dracula 2000 and then there's also movies like underworld um i kind of enjoy underworld even though it's really cheesy which is like vampires versus werewolves uh, all that kind of pulp stuff to me is is fun because it tells a, a good story with a lot of action and one of the things they always do in those is they set up the rules by which you can defeat the vampire and then they toy with those a little bit to uh to surprise you and give you some unexpected twists and turns so that's the horror of the vampire originally the vampire was a monstrous thing you didn't want to become as societies become more materialistic it gets transformed into something which is more interesting as a vehicle for romance and uh, existential exploration there's an existential dread to becoming a vampire if you're worried about losing your immortal soul and becoming a demon and if that's not really a worry then the vampire is a little bit of a different uh, 
different, more interesting case to, to look at. So it doesn't matter which one you want to go. You can still do both. People still write classic vampire tales, and you can do that, or you can use them in a wholly original way. I might come out with, I guess, sort of a vampire novel this year. We'll see uh, if that comes out and whether you would even classify it as such, but uh, that'll be a little bit further down the line for now. Let me know what you think down below some of your favorite vampire books or uh, vampire movies and the way that you like vampires to be treated. Uh, and thanks for watching. All my books are available on Amazon, of course, and the newest one is going to be Tyrant's Gallo. That's the sequel to City of Silver. So you can still buy City of Silver for 99 cents on Amazon, wherever I happen to have this. Um, and so got the sequel coming out in a couple weeks and then Keys to Prolific Creativity, that one will be out or that one's out now and you can even listen to the whole audiobook here on this channel. So thanks so much and I'll see you guys next time.